Well, hey guys, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 4 this morning. We'll bounce around and use a variety of scriptures, but our main scripture is John chapter 4. So feel free to turn there, pull that up if you want to read along. We'll have it up on a screen, but it's always nice to have it in hand. We're going to jump back into a conversation that we started a few weeks back called Never Going Back. It's interesting. We have a, we have a tendency as people to go back to things that, that leave us wanting. I don't know if you've ever had that experience before where, where you go back to something that, that doesn't actually satisfy you. Albert Einstein, pretty smart dude, uh, you know, good looking dude too. He's credited with saying something that I don't think he actually said, but, uh, but in fact, Alex, I've got Alex here with me. Alex running all of our tech this morning. Hey, Alex, say hello. Hello. Hey, I'm glad that you're here. I also have Zach with me, by the way. Zach's our cameraman. He's always behind the scenes. You never know what he looks like. You could pass him on the street and never know that it's him, but he's real. In fact, Zach, if you could kind of nod to say hello. That's, that's Zach saying hello to all of you. Zach's our, our mystery cameraman. Zach's awesome. I've got Zach and Alex with me. Alex. Einstein is attributed to saying a quote, it's pretty famous, you probably know it. Yep. Um, I don't think he said it, but it's, it's basically, um, insanity is, do you know what it, the rest says? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Can we just take a moment to appreciate how well-read and, and deep Alex Bennell is? Way to go, Alex. That is, that is the quote. Again, don't think Einstein said it because we have instances of it being said or very similar things being said earlier in history. But if you're as smart as Einstein, I think you deserve a few extra things being being accredited to you, right? So he said that, uh, or someone said, that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And if that's the definition of insanity, I'm insane. And let's face it, you're insane. All of us are crazy because we all do that. We all have a tendency to go back to something over and over again, expecting that this time it's gonna work. This time it'll be different, just because we, we want it to be. I'll give you an example from my life. Um, something that my wife loves and I just don't is this drink called LaCroix. I'm sure a lot of you guys are familiar with LaCroix. Many of you have probably had LaCroix. And if, if you love LaCroix, just don't, uh, don't judge me right now. Uh, but I, I don't like LaCroix. Alex, what's your, what's your LaCroix opinion? Like where do you stand on the topic of this French horrific uh, soda? It, it depends on the flavor. Okay. Yeah. Um, my favorite is peach pear. Peach pear. Um, okay. I think I've had passion fruit too, and that one was good. Okay. Um, but otherwise, several of the other flavors are just not good at all. Not good. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I haven't tried. I haven't tried those, but I'm not going to. You know why? Because <laughs> I'm not crazy. I'm not going to be insane anymore. See, every single time Megan gets Lacroix from the grocery store, she she will get a new flavor. That happens pretty often. And she'll be like, Justin, try this one. It's so good. And for some reason, I do. I'm like, okay, maybe this is the one. And I try it and it isn't good and I don't like it. And yet three weeks later when she gets another flavor and she says, no, no, this one's good. I'll, I'll even find myself sometimes going to the fridge and I'll see a flavor I've never had before of LaCroix and I'll just talk myself into it. I'll be like, you know, I should just, I'll give this one. A, maybe this is the one that's gonna make me a LaCroix believer and I'll, I'll open it, I'll take one sip and I'm like, this is terrible, this is awful. And then I just have to go find Megan and say, hey, you're going to need to finish this because this is bad. I don't speak French. I'm pretty sure la in French is the. Is it possible that croix is crap? Is that, what do you, I mean? I mean, I'm not a linguistics expert, but okay. it seems possible. It's possible. LaCroix is the crap. That's, that's at least in my experience. So again, if you like LaCroix, forgive me for saying that. I, I don't like LaCroix, and yet I've gone back to it over and over again. There's so many other examples of that in my life. Things that, for whatever reason, I just keep telling myself that this time it's gonna be different, this time it's gonna work, I'll give it another shot, I'll do the same thing and expect different results. We all have that tendency. We all have the tendency 
to, to keep going back to things that leave us wanting. And this morning, we're going to look at a story uh, of someone who does that exact same thing. And Jesus, fortunately, has a conversation with this person and convinces them that there's a better way. John chapter 4. This story is, is generally known as the story of the woman at the well. It's a really powerful story for a, a number of reasons. Number one, it's, it's an example of us getting to see Jesus have an uninterrupted conversation with someone. We don't actually have a lot of examples of that. We actually don't get a lot of, of stories of Jesus having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. We have this one, we have one in John 3, and a few others. But this is an, an awesome moment for us to see what it's like for someone to sit down and talk with Jesus. And if you're a Jesus follower and you love Jesus and you're just all about Jesus, think about what an honor it would be to actually have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus, just you and him. That's what this woman gets to experience. She didn't know she was gonna experience that. She didn't seek it out. When she woke up that morning, she never had the thought that, you know what, I'm gonna to talk to God face to face, but it happened anyway and it changed her life. And so let's read John chapter four. We're gonna start in verse one. It says, Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and he returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, and this is, this is so good. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. I wanna pause there for just a second. That's a powerful statement. If you only knew what God has for you, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were talking to, you'd ask me and I would give you living water. Jesus is saying, hey, don't think for a second that you're the one that has the most to offer me. Yeah, I'm thirsty, I need a drink, but, but I have something to offer you that, that you can never fully understand. This phrase living water, it's a really interesting phrase. In Hebrew, uh, which would have been the language that Jesus would have spoken along with Greek, uh, in Hebrew, uh, living water is, is this, this right here. And Alex, I'm gonna set you up. Try, pronounce this. How do you think in Hebrew this is pronounced? Uh, I've been thinking about it over and over like the entire time. Um, Mayim Chem. Okay, that's, that's, that's a good, let's, let's first acknowledge, we're in, we're in Georgia. Uh, let's first acknowledge the Georgia pronunciation of this. What would you say like the, uh, like let's go deep south pronunciation of this phrase would be? Uh, Mayim Cham. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Mayim Cham or something like that, right? Uh, I'm not a linguistics expert either. I don't speak Hebrew, but the, the way you would pronounce this, and I'm probably gonna butcher it, but I'm gonna do my best, would be uh, Mayim you always put in Hebrew, the emphasis is on the second syllable. So it's mayim, kaim. What's that? You know, in Hebrew, it's that like, like you're clearing your throat sound. Right. It's mayim, kaim. And again, those of you who speak Hebrew, comment section, butcher me, go for it. Uh, but this, this is living water. And in the Hebrew culture, this phrase was a, a really, really powerful phrase because uh, in, in the Middle East, water is a, a very precious resource. And so, um, Alex, again, I'm putting you on the spot. Yep. Uh, if you had to guess in inches, how much rain we get in Georgia every year in inches? It's less than 100, I'll tell you that. Yeah. What would you, what would you go for? Uh, can I do like a range? Is that cheating? No, get, but within five. Within five? Yeah. Okay. Um, I would say between 60 and 65 inches. Okay, we actually get about 75. 
That's good though, it wasn't that far off. So we get about 75 inches of rain. Israel, on an annual basis, how much rain would you suspect that Israel gets? Uh, between 15 and 20. Okay, 21. They get 21, that was really good, all right? So Israel gets about 21 inches of rain. Now what's really interesting about Israel versus a place like, like where we live, is that that rain that they get each year, it is almost always completely condensed to a certain season. And so it almost never, ever rains in Israel between May to mid-October, like zero rain whatsoever. And so uh, when the rains come, the entire, the entire country changes. Now, in, in today's world, we have things like irrigation, right? We have, we have plumbing, and so they're able to, to do different things even when it's not raining. But back in Jesus's day, none of that existed. So you literally depended on, on the rain. You depended on that season for life. And so when it was the dry season, you would have had all the fields be, be barren. They would have been brown. It just would have been dust and dirt. But then when the rains came, those same fields would have come to life. They would, have, they would have had grass. They would have had plants. The, the rivers would have, have risen. And wherever the rivers were, there would just be life. In fact, in, in ancient Israel, you would often see near the rivers like lush green trees. And then just a few feet away, nothing. Because it all had to do with the life that water brought. And that, that phrase, it meant living water. When Jesus is talking to her and he, he describes living water, she would have known that the water she was drinking from that well, that was stagnant water. What they would do is, is they would store water in cisterns. You know, those cisterns would fill up during the rainy season and then slowly but surely they would, they, would, they would go down. And that's what this woman was drinking. That's what everyone was drinking at this time. It was stagnant water. It's like old water, basically. But Jesus says, I can bring you living water. I can bring you the kind of water that brings, brings you life. Now, Jesus is, is prone to speak in, in metaphor. That's something we see Jesus do all the time. And oftentimes when he speaks in metaphor, completely goes over people's heads. For example, he's talking to the Pharisees at one point and he's in the temple. And he says, if you destroy this temple, I'll build it back in three days. And, and they think he's talking about the physical building of the temple. It took him 40 years to build that. And they're like, you're crazy. You could never build this in three days. He wasn't talking about the building. He was talking about himself. When he said this temple, he meant, he meant him. And he's saying, look, you guys are gonna destroy this body but it's gonna rise again in three days. John chapter three, Jesus talks to a guy named Nicodemus and he says, hey, if you wanna know God, you wanna know the father, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus thinks he's being literal, says, you mean I've gotta get back in my mother's womb? And Jesus is like, yeah, clearly, clearly not. He often spoke in metaphor. He's doing that here in John four again, but the woman, she, she doesn't understand that. And so let's go back, verse 11. She says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? She thinks he's, he's talking about actual water. And let's face it, she probably thinks he's just this crazy guy sitting by a well, right? She's not expecting this to be, to be a prophet or, or better yet, the Messiah to be, to be the Lord himself. She thinks he's just nuts. So she's kind of like, yeah, what in the world are you talking about? You don't have a rope. You don't have a bu bucket. Where are you gonna get this water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water and then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman said. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said. And just imagine, she's jaw dropped right now. How in the world could Jesus know this about her? Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, 
Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? You know, this is a moment where she's realized that she's talking to someone who, who really knows the Lord, knows God. And she doesn't realize yet that he is who he is, but, but she recognizes he knows things. And so she starts asking him all these questions about God that she's had her whole life. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. We might say in a church building or online. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Well, we, we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. He says, I am the the Messiah. And honestly, this is the first example we have of Jesus just looking at someone and saying that. This story is obviously incredibly rich. It's hard for us sometimes to go through a story like this and just spend a a week or a few weeks on it because we could spend months talking about this and not even scratch the surface. But we're going to use this story as a jumping off point for the next few weeks to talk about the concept of us never going back to those things that, that ultimately just leave us disappointed. Really, Jesus, when he's speaking to this woman, he's speaking to all of us. We are all the Samaritan woman because we all keep going back to those old wells, those old wells full of stagnant water that may satisfy us for a little while, but at the end of the day, they just leave us wanting. We all have that tendency. So what we're going to do for the next few weeks is we're going to to name those wells. We're going to call some of those those common old wells out. And what we're going to do is draw a line in the sand in our hearts, so to speak, to say, I don't want to ever go back to that old well again. I've been there before. It left me wanting. It didn't fill me up. It didn't give me what I really needed. I don't want to be insane and keep doing the same thing, expecting different results. I want something new. I want this this living water that Jesus promised. I want him to give me something that brings me to life, that gives me the life that I've been promised. I think deep down inside, we all know that we're meant for something great, that we're meant for a life that's not just a little bit better than what it is right now, but we're meant for something that's transformationally different. Something that God has reminded me of time and time again in my life is that he's not that interested in life improvement. We get very fixated on life improvement. And sometimes church honestly can get boiled down into life improvement. It's just little bitty things you can do so that your life is just a little bit different, a little bit better. God's not interested in life improvement. He wants to transform your life. He wants to make you a new person. He wants to give you an entirely different perspective, an entirely different mindset. When Jesus promises living water, he's telling this woman, I want to categorically change everything. I want to give you something so powerful, so rich that it's like a spring bubbling up inside of you. You'll never be thirsty again. I think deep down inside, we all know that we're meant for something more, but we struggle to find it. What we end up doing instead is we just keep going back to those old wells thinking maybe this time, maybe this time it'll give me what I need. So we're going to spend a few weeks and we're going to talk about about those old wells that we keep going back to. We're gonna name them and our our desire is to never go back to them again, but to go and seek the living water that Jesus promises us. And so we're gonna get started today by talking about something I'm gonna call the well of, of self, the well of self. And when I talk about the well of self, here's what I mean. Being self protective, being self sufficient, being self reliant, self confident, self gratifying, and seeking self-fulfillment. This is the well of self. Something really interesting about the woman at the well is she's alone. She is by herself. And she's actually at this well at a time of day that that no one should really be there. There's a reason that Jesus is the only person there and it's because it's it's midday. 
It's like noontime. And in their culture, you would never have gone to the well at noontime. It would have been so hot. Everyone went to the well in the cool of the evening and they would get the water that they needed for the day to come. You would never have gone to that well in the middle of the day. But this woman, she's a loner. She's an outcast. Likely because of some of the things that Jesus mentions to her, her, her reputation, the way that she's lived her life. In that culture, she would, have been, she would have been shunned. She's an outcast. She's all on her own. And she's definitely a woman who's learned how to be self-reliant. She's definitely a woman who's learned how to live life on her own. That's just been her MO. Yes, she's obviously been in many relationships, but you can tell that those relationships have not worked, that, that her pattern has been that the relationships fall apart and she moves on and she moves on and she moves on. And, and the way her life is going, this person she's living with now is, is maybe either going to be husband number six or he's gonna be over with and someone else is gonna come along because the only person that this woman can really rely on is herself. She is a self-sufficient person. But the problem with being self-sufficient is that oftentimes, and we see this in this woman, at least in the area of her relationships, is that when we are, when we are self-sufficient, we often find ourselves beginning to self-sabotage. We become a, a self-sabotaging person. We rely on ourselves for everything, and what we end up doing is sabotaging everything that we get involved with. I'm not saying that all these relationships that had gone wrong were her fault, but you know, if you've been married five times and, and, and you're on the sixth, eventually you've got to start looking in the mirror and saying, hey, maybe, maybe something's up with me. When we live self-sufficient, we end up self-sabotaging. But here's what's really interesting for us as, as Americans is that we've been taught to rely on ourselves. And if you're friends with me, I'll apologize because this is something you've probably heard me go on a rant about many different times. This is something that I'm really, really passionate about is, is examining some of the worldviews, examining some, some of the, the prescribed ways of thinking that we are culturally conditioned to believe. And asking ourselves the hard question, does this actually line up with the teachings of scripture? Does this actually line up with the, the teachings of Jesus? And so, for example, in the last 30, 40 years, the predominant worldview in America that has shaped the way that we think is a worldview that's called secular humanism. Secular humanism. And the definition of, of secular humanism, if you open it up in a dictionary, is, is this. It, it's humanism with regard to the particular belief that humanity is capable of morality and self-fulfillment without belief in God that we as people are capable of having everything that we need for fulfillment. We can be self-fulfilled. We don't need God. We don't even need to believe in God. We don't need to acknowledge that there's a, a higher power. We don't need any of that stuff. We have everything within ourselves to find self-fulfillment. And so there's some mantras that, that exist because of secular humanism. And these are things, by the way, that we almost all believe at some level. These become the lyrics of our children's animated uh, movie songs, right? It's things like, uh, be yourself. Hey, if you want to be happy, you just, gotta, you just have to be yourself, right? That's, that's saying you have everything within you to be self-fulfilled. Believe in yourself, right? Secular humanism. It's the belief that we don't need God. We don't need faith to have everything that we need to be fulfilled. We just need to believe in what? Believe in, in ourselves, right? Things like do what you feel is best. Hey, you are the authority. Whatever you feel, that, that is definitely, you know, that's, that's your truth. These are the types of mantras that I grew up being conditioned to believe in, right? When I was a kid in school, I started going to school in the, in the 80s. And, and these were like the things that were on the posters in our classroom. Things like believe in yourself, be yourself. You can accomplish anything that you set your mind to. And all of it had this idea that, that you have the power within yourself to do whatever you can possibly imagine. 
we have to ask ourselves the question, does this work? Does, does the well of self, relying on ourselves, doing everything we can to, to gratify ourselves, to, to fulfill ourselves, does that work? Do we have a society of, of self-fulfilled people? And I believe it's, it's pretty clear that we don't. When you look at the, the trends in, in anxiety and depression and suicide, when you look at the fear that our world lives in, the panic that people have, the uncertainty that everyone's dealing with, it doesn't seem like we're very good at, at self-fulfillment. It doesn't seem like we actually have the answers. I mean, look what's going on right now in our country. And one of the, one of the things that, that I think we're all united in right now, as divided as we might be, is that clearly there's no, there's no uniformity in terms of the solutions to the problems that we face. We have all these experts, we have all these talking heads, we have all these people that are telling us what to do, but none of them even agree, none of them even know, and every two weeks the model changes and the data changes and the projections change, because no one knows. Maybe, just maybe, we don't have the answers within ourselves. Maybe, just maybe, we, we don't have everything we need. Maybe we need something more. You know, this woman at the well, she did not have the ability to give herself living water. Jesus says, look, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you're talking to, meaning him, Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God, the Lord, if you only knew who you were talking to and what God has for you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Be very, very clear in your understanding that Jesus is saying, this comes through me. We see this happen elsewhere in Jesus's teachings. He's not shy about it. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He calls himself the, the bread of life. He tells us that he is the solution. At the end of the day, we don't need something. We need, we need someone. And that someone is not us. That someone is, is him. He's the one who gives that to us. We might be taught by our world that we can be self-sufficient, that we can be self-reliant, that we can be self-fulfilled. But God speaks in very different terms. For example, let's, let's look at a few scriptures. And Alex, just kind of keep these rolling, okay? Uh, we'll look at Jeremiah chapter 17, one of my absolute favorite scriptures. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. It goes on to, to use some really good imagery. They are like, they're like stunted shrubs in the desert. I love that we're talking about this connected to the whole living water thing, right? The, the whole idea that, that living water is gonna bring things to life. It says they're like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabitable, salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and their confidence, right? They're not self-confident. They're confident in the Lord. They are like trees planted along a riverbank. And again, they would have seen a river as living water, right? With, with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat. They're not worried by long months of drought. Their lives stay green. Their leaves rather stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Maybe that was a Freudian slip. Their lives stay green. They never stop producing fruit. Jeremiah says that, look, when we put our trust and our faith in, in our own strength, if we want to be self-reliant, then we might as well reserve ourselves to being like stunted shrubs in the desert. We don't have deep roots. We don't have the ability to endure the droughts that life brings. But if we put our trust in the Lord, if we're not self-confident, but we're God-confident, it's like we have deep roots that go down to a water source that's unending. And no matter what happens, no matter how long the drought might be, we're, we're good. We, we produce fruit. Our leaves are green, right? Our, our lives are green. Let's go on to the next one. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 5. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves, 
to consider anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Paul, who wrote this, is saying, like, our confidence, our, our views of sufficiency, it's not from us. We recognize that we don't have anything in ourselves to be confident in, but our confidence, our feeling of adequacy, our feeling of worth, it, it comes from, from God. Let's go to the next one. Ephesians 2.8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Go back to Jesus with the woman at the well. He says, look, woman, if, if only you knew who you were talking to, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you're talking to, what? You would ask me and I would give it to you. The salvation that we have, the relationship that we have with God, we didn't earn this. We couldn't have earned it if we tried. But it's a gift that's been given to us. Again, we are completely dependent on God. Let's look at another. John 15, four through five. This is Jesus talking. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you for, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. He goes on to say, yes, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I love it when Jesus makes sure that, that we're clear. I love it when Jesus speaks and gives us no wiggle room. Like when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's clear. There's not, there's not a lot of, of interpretation there. It's not like, well, he might be saying that apart from him, you know, like Alex, maybe he's saying apart from him, we can do very little of value. And look, reading something like this, we might think to ourselves, there's lots of people who do good things apart from Jesus. They don't have faith in Jesus. They're not relying on Jesus and they do good things. And, and, and to that, I would just point you to another conversation that Jesus has with a, a rich young ruler where, where the man says, good teacher. He says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Maybe our definition of good is off. When Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He's talking about nothing of eternal value. But with him, with him, it's a different story. What I'm saying is this. Our culture has taught us that we can be self-sufficient. Our culture has taught us that we can rely on ourselves. We can look out for number one. We can trust ourselves. We can be self-fulfilled, self-confident, self-reliant, and we're going to be okay. But, but no data bears that out. You know, there's this, this phrase, uh, being a lone wolf. Like Alex, when you hear the phrase being a lone wolf, like what do you think of? What does that, what does that remind you of? Uh, what's that song? Hungry like the wolf. Duran Duran? Yeah. Oh man, you're going 80s. Like you, you did that on purpose. You know that I, I love the hey, 80s. You know. I can just start like singing it right now, but I'm not going to. I'm tempted. <laughs> yeah, Hungry like the wolf. I think lone wolf, I always think of like, it's like a military thing for some reason for me. It's like, you know all the movies, 80s, we'll go back to the 80s. Like the 80s were full of movies where you have like a, a renegade soldier mm -hmm. who's like a one-man army taking on like, like it's Arnold Everyone. Schwarzenegger or it's Sylvester Stallone with a machine gun and literally hundreds of other soldiers they don't stand a chance. They're just, you know, I, I work alone. You know, yeah. there's that whole like cop move. I, I work alone. I don't have a partner. I work alone. Well, I was listening to a pastor speak about this a few years ago and he made the point that there's really no such thing as a lone wolf. Like it's this idea that we have of someone who's self-sufficient, like they just make their own way. But a lone wolf is actually like a dead wolf because wolves are pack animals. And if a wolf is a part of a pack, it's, it's like a carnivore. It's a hunter. But if a wolf is on its own, it's not a hunter anymore. It becomes a scavenger. That whole concept of being self-reliant, being a lone wolf, it's a lie. We're not, we're not supposed to live alone. We're not supposed to live on our own strength. Now, some of us might, might hear that and think that this is some low view of humanity. I don't think it's the truth. I don't think that, that we have a low view of humanity by saying that we're not intended to do this. Like from the very beginning, God spoke to us early on in scripture. This is Genesis, first chapters. And he recognized, he said, it's not good 
for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. It's not a low view of humanity to recognize that we don't have everything inside of us to live our best life. We just don't. The well of self, trying to be self-satisfied, self-gratified, self-fulfilled, it's a trap and it's, it's an endless cycle of disappointment. You're gonna go back and back and back to yourself. You're gonna try to muster up more and more strength and it's not going to work. It's not a low view of humanity, it's an accurate view. Look, like I, I have a car and I recognize that my car does not have the ability to generate its own power. I don't have a low view of vehicles because I recognize that they need a fuel source to operate, to do what they're meant to do. I don't have a low view of humanity. I don't have a low view of myself to recognize that I don't have the strength inside of me on my own to do anything of value. I mean, I can think of conversations I've had with my wife in times where, where I'm, I'm not at my best. We'll just say that, not at the least. And I'm frustrated and I'm struggling and I'm angry and I'm upset and I'm disappointed and all these emotions are coming to the, the forefront. And, and there have been times where my, my wife has looked at me and she said, what are you trying to say? And I have to stop and go, I don't even know. I, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I don't even have the ability right now to put into words the feelings that I have. If that's who I am naturally, how in the world could I be self-fulfilled? If I don't even have the ability to express the disappointments and the frustrations and the angst that I have inside of my heart, if I don't even have the ability to navigate my own emotions, how in the world can I be self-fulfilled? That's why our, our world's teaching that we can be uh, completely fulfilled apart from God, that's why it's such a crock. It's LaCroix, you know, it's the crap. It's a crock, here's why. We, we don't even know who we are. When we live in a society that says, be yourself, and at the same time, our society says, find yourself. Well, how can I do both of those at the same time? How can I be myself if I need to find myself? And if I don't really know who I am and I'm finding myself, how am I gonna know and recognize when myself is found? It doesn't work. We're not meant to live self-fulfilled. We're meant to live connected to a power source that is, that is not our own strength. And that power source is the relationship with God that you are meant to have. You are meant to live connected to the God who created you. You are meant to know what it feels like to be loved by God. You are meant to live knowing what it feels like to be in relationship with God, not just knowing that he knows you, that he sees you, but for you to know him, for you to have an intimate relationship with him. Jesus looked at this woman and he would look at you and he would say this, if you only knew the gift that God has for you, if you only knew the good things that God has for your life, if you only knew who you were talking to, you would ask him, confidently ask him for the living water that he would give you. I, I think Jesus followers, such a challenging statement for us to think about. So often when we pray, I think we forget who we're praying to. I know I do. So often when I pray to Jesus, I pray with timidity. I pray like, almost like, God, it might be a stretch for you to do this, but if you can help me out here. And Jesus said, if you only knew who you were talking to, when we pray, we're praying to, to God. We're praying to the God who created everything by the power of his word. That's, how, that's who our God is. When we pray to him, we should pray with confidence, not in ourselves, but confidence in the God who made us. He can do anything. When we live connected to him, we can do anything, not in our own strength, but in his strength, because he gives his strength to us. That's why Philippians chapter four, verse 13, says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Think back to what Jesus said in John chapter 15, apart from me, you can do nothing, but I can do everything through him because he gives me living water. In the book of Acts, we're told that, that in God, in him, we live and we move and we exist. We live, we move, we exist in him. In him, we can do all things. 
There's another famous scripture. I don't have it on the screen, but it says that, that we're more than conquerors. Romans chapter eight, we are more than conquerors. And a lot of times you'll see scriptures, especially really inspirational scriptures like that one, and they'll kind of chop a part of it off. And so like the, I can do all things, it won't add on the through Christ who strengthens me. It's just, I can do all things. Romans chapter eight is a similar one. We are more than conquerors. If you chop it off right there, it makes it sound like we can just do this on our own, but it actually says we are more than conquerors through him, through Jesus. Guys, never go back to the well of self. Stop, stop being self-reliant. Stop trying to be self-fulfilled because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's an exhausting way to live. I don't want to be like a, a stunted shrub in the desert. I want to be like that tree that, that's planted right by the riverbank. And that riverbank, that living water, it's Jesus. Trust him. Depend on him. Be confident in him. Not in your own plans, not in your own strength, not in your own ideas, but, but in him. Right now, like, let's just be honest. In the midst of this crazy season that we're in, whatever five-year plan you've had, it's probably out the window. If you came into 2020 with clarity, on what your future would look like, I would imagine right now you have less clarity. But do you think this season caught God by surprise? Do you think for a moment this is uncharted waters for the Lord? It's not. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows exactly what it's gonna to take to get us on the right track. Our leaders might be scrambling to figure out solutions. That's why when you look at every single state in our United States, it's almost like a completely different approach just depends on which state that you live in. But our God's not divided. He's not uncertain. He's not scrambling. He never scrambles. He knows exactly what to do. And if we put our confidence not in ourselves, in our government, in our own ability to figure things out, not in man, not human strength, but we put our confidence in him and we just surrender and say, Lord, I don't know what to do right now. I don't know what's going on. I don't know, I don't know how to right the ship. I don't know what to do in my career right now, Lord. I don't know what to do in my marriage right now. I don't know how to raise my kids. I don't know how to be the person that I'm supposed to be. I don't know how to get over this addiction. I've tried. I don't know what to do. I don't have it in me. Jesus would just look at you and go like, hey, ding, ding, ding. Guess what? You need living water and I have it for you. Do you believe that he has it for you? To believe that he loves you enough that he wants to give it to you, that he's offering it to you right now. If you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you were speaking to, Jesus, you would ask and he would give it to you. That's the promise that he makes. So we're not gonna go back to the old well of self. We wanna go to the, the source of living water, which is Jesus. He's good, he loves us, he's there for us. Jesus followers, don't go back to the well of self. And if you're watching this and, and you've never decided to follow Jesus, I just want you to know that, that just like that woman at the well, he's looking at you and he's saying the same thing. I have something for you. I have living water for you. I have a whole new way to live. I want to do something in you that completely changes categorically who you are. I'm not trying to improve your life. I'm not trying to give you a 2% better life. He, he wants to completely transform you so that your life before doesn't even resemble the life that you have. He wants to give you a passion for living and a hope and a faith that overcomes any circumstance you could ever imagine. He's here for you. And if you're ready to receive him, again, he's here. Are you ready? If you are, if you want that relationship with Jesus, if you want that living water that he's offering, do us a favor, text the word ready to the number that you see on the screen right now. Text that word ready to that number. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna have someone reach out to you. Now, obviously you don't have to do this. You can just pray right now. But again, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for us to try to do things on our own strength. If you're ready to, to take a step in your relationship with Jesus, if you're ready to open yourself up to God for the first time in your life, maybe as we've talked about this, you felt something stirring. If you're ready for that, 
He's ready for you. And as, as a church, we just want to come alongside you and help. We just want to come alongside you and, and be a source, a resource for you to answer questions that you might have, to pray with you, to help you process. And so if you're interested, we'd love to talk. Let us know that you're ready, but, but know no matter what, that he's ready for you because he loves you. With all that said, we're going we're gonna to worship a little bit more. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for being our source of living water. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to keep going back to the well of self, that we don't have to keep going back to stagnant water, that we don't have to keep going back to the same things we've tried over and over again, expecting different results, but we can go to you. We can put our trust in you. We can put our confidence in you and know that you are the God of the universe, that nothing can stand in your way. If you are for us, who in the world could stand against us? You love us so much and you're, you're desperately desiring to give us the good life that you've planned for us the living water that you have for us, Lord. So I pray that we just become receptive to that. I pray that all of us watching this, all of us say, I'm done with the well of self. I'm done, I'm done with that stagnant water. I'm not going back to that well. I want living water. And that our hearts would, would desire it, that we would seek it out. Even Lord, if we don't understand it, even if we don't, don't have a clarity in what it even means, that we would just have a hunger for you, a desire for everything that you offer. And we would seek it out with all of our being. We love you, Lord. Help us remember the gifts that you have for us. And help us never forget who it is we're actually praying to. It's in your name we pray. Amen.